Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. This is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is called The Red Road. And it's going to, well, this is where I'm going to be talking about ceremonial life and about Jerry and ceremonial life. A ceremony, I looked it up and what it means and it's referring to as a spiritual or a public occasion. That's what a ceremony is in the English language. So I, you know, I grew up on the res, the reservation, and went to residential school for the first, in that 18-year period of my life. So I didn't, no one told me about ceremony. I didn't know or understand ceremony, what it was and what it was for. You know, and um, so I'd go to mass that's a ceremony. In the evening, sometimes they'd have what they call benediction. Then I'd see the baptism. Then first Holy Communion. And confirmation. And those were in the church. And also the weddings. And the funerals. 
And this and the church was a very solemn place. You know, the ceremonies were seemed to me to be solemn. You know, and uh, but that's what I was seeing. It wasn't uplifting for me. You know, and that that was a ceremony that I I grew up in. And of course, then there was the graduations. You know, the the public ceremonies and people would graduate. I remember we graduated out of grade eight. And we're in the Indian day school. And there was a little ceremony with that. Then we went to residential school and spent the time there. And the ceremonies were all about church. That's what we would see. Until the graduation. Then there was a public ceremony when I had done my 12 years. So that's what I came to know a ceremony. And then after I sobered up, I started to see ceremony in a different light. And I started to see and witness naming ceremonies, coming of age ceremonies, a different kind of a wedding ceremony, funerals and memorials. And I realized then that there was a ceremony for every stage of life for our people before contact and before Christ. And that ceremony, and I looked back on it and I started to understand this, I started to see that ceremony was actually the glue that held our people together so that we could be healthy and be sound and mind, body, and spirit, and be a unit as a family. So I started to see that. Then I started to look, oh, what happened? Why aren't we doing this anymore? Because I didn't see it. You know, all my teenage years, my young adult years, I did not see indigenous ceremony. It wasn't happening. So what happened, of course, was colonization happened. And remember, colonization is about the complete, utter complete economic and political, political control of a people. That that was what happened. We were told how to live our lives, and that included ceremony. Our ceremonies, the potlatch, the sweat lodge, the sun dance, they were actually outlawed. They even outlawed people wearing ceremonial gear in public, like headdresses, blankets, and using the drums and the rattles. That was actually outlawed in the Indian Act in Canada. And they started to eliminate the language, our languages. You've heard me talk probably in previous podcasts about how people were treated that were speaking their language in the residential schools. And so much of our ceremony is in the language. So when they started to, first off, outlaw gatherings, public gatherings, potlatches and ceremony. Then they started to even outlaw how we dressed. 
that had a profound impact on us as a people. This loss of ceremony, these, this loss of ritual, because a ritual is, are the steps that we do in ceremony. Like in the Christian ceremony, for instance, you stand up, kneel down, sit down, you know, in certain parts of the ceremony. Well, we had rituals in our ceremony too. They were ours. So what happened basically now was Christ was put into every community. And we're introduced into the Judeo-Christian way, the Euro-Judeo-Christian way of life, and education and how we're to govern ourselves, you know, in every aspect of our life. I was born into this. I didn't know anything else. And I think about how serious that was, that outlawing of our ways and the discouraging of our way of ceremony. You know, that being told by the early Christians that we were speaking the devil's language and all those drums and rattles and beautiful, beautiful implements that we used in ceremony were the devil's tools. And our language was the devil's language. I know that all the Christians were not talking this way, but the leadership at that time was, and they were telling us, the people, that you're to follow Christ now. I have an example of that, because I used to wonder, how could it disappear so quickly? Like in, in my lifetime, in the lifetime of my parents. Oh. And I was visiting a community and I, I'd started, you know, I, 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 I'm a traveling man and I do workshops. And when I started doing workshops, I always had a hand drum and I would sing songs to start the workshop. And this elder was at one of my workshops and um, she came in and and listened. And I seen her and I didn't realize that she uh, English is a second language for her and she didn't speak English. She spoke her language. But she, what she liked and appreciated was my hand drum and the music I was sharing. And she told her um, granddaughter, you tell him to come to my place, I'm going to feed him supper tonight. So I went, and of course, expectation is sing for my supper. <laughs> so I sang songs, you know, and I love singing, chanting. And um, we finished eating and we're having tea and she's talking to her granddaughter in the language. And she says, uh, she was giving her instructions so her granddaughter left and came back with this bentwood box, cedar bentwood box. And the grandmother's telling me what this is through her granddaughter, who is an interpreter. And she says the cedarwood box is 300 years old. 
and she opened it, and it had headdresses, rattles, and different, you know, all of the, what they would use in potlatch. And she says, I'm the only one that has this. The minister, when they first came here, the church, one of the first things they done was build a church. And when they'd finished building that church, the minister told the people, you all go home and you bring those rattles and drums and everything you use in potlatch. Now you're going to follow Christ. So the people listened and they brought just all of their sacred implements to the church. And the minister had them build a fire and burn all of their potlatch thing, potlatch tools. And I could understand why language and ceremony disappeared so quickly out of my community. We had two churches in my reserve, and I wondered if the priest told my people to burn their drums and rattles, because I didn't see any as a child in my own community. You know, it's, uh, when I think of that, and I think of the loss for many people, that feeling of not knowing who you are or what you can do, what you cannot do. That feeling, because that's, that was me. So I'm now going to tell you what happened to Jerry. Like what happened to us as a people was colonization. And what happened to Jerry was the results of the colonization, my lived experience. I became a, a pitiful human being. I, you know, I was hurt. I was wounded by people. I was wounded in my mind and my body and my spirit at the residential school and the day school when I was beaten and I was abused. And, you know, if that ceremony of the Mass and the benediction was true for me, it would have healed me. I wouldn't have had to carry around all that stuff that I carried for years. My mind, my body, and spirit weakened Year after year, it became weaker because this wasn't going away. I became addicted. You know, I followed that natural path of um, that any human being does to try and find a way to stop the pain. And sadly, mine was through alcohol and drugs. Because it stopped the pain for sure. You know, I, I, I didn't think about abuse or anything when I was on the 
when my my being was altered by the booze and those drugs. But, it, you know, I made mistakes when I was intoxicated or stoned. And it added to the trauma that happened to me at, at those institutions. So in my addiction, like the road of many addicts, I also, after a while, started to isolate myself. You know, and would, you know, hang out with the people that were like me. And I didn't think of success anymore. You know, I was part of the problem now in my community because of that drinking and eventually drugging. So, you know, I started to... Finally, I didn't start to... I finally woke up. Like I've said in the past, every day you wake up, you can change your mind. Well, I changed my mind about drinking. I did not... I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired that I started to think, I need to, I need to stop this. And I, and I stopped. You know, and it was tough. You know, to go through temptation every day, you know, yeah, I should have a drink, you know, because I'm used to dealing with my stress by drinking or being stoned on drugs. Anyway, I managed to stop. And I, I, because of that, I started now to go to public occasions that were happening in my, in my territory. And the first one I went to, it was at, um, I started to go to public occasions now. Because, of course, that would help me in my sobriety. And I, uh, my first awakening around ceremony happened at this, um, in one of our communities. It was the largest populated community in our nation. Anyway, they were, um, doing some direct action and blockaded a road because of fishing rights they were having. You know, and the people come in and stop them from fishing, this elder. and uh, So they rose up. And of course, hearing about it, um, I went over there, brought a group of people with me to this road blockade. We got there, they had security, and they checked us, and we're coming in, and they said, do you have weapons, alcohol, or drugs? Because we, that's not allowed here. I said, no, we don't have any of that. They said, okay, come on in, set up your camp. So we went in. It was announced that there was going to be a, a sweat lodge ceremony 
and anyone could attend. You know, in, in all of my struggling life, I yearned for indigenous ways, for our ways, and I couldn't see it happening in my community or other communities. So when I heard this, I said, I'm going to go. And I, I went, and I remember I was stressed out, and I was scared of making a mistake, you know. And uh, you know, I, I had this bad habit of judging myself all the time, thinking I'm not worthy, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, I went to this ceremony, this life-changing ceremony, you know, and uh, I went there. And uh, this man that was hosting the ceremony was a Cree man. And he come over the mountains. He was called to come over to help so his way was, uh, one of his ways, I guess, was the sweat lodge. And he built this large sweat lodge. And I remember going in, and he had an interpreter. He said that the ceremony is going to be in the language, but not to worry that the interpreter would be telling us so we can understand. Before we start, he was telling us, I understand what you've been through. I want to tell you I'm glad that you're here, that you belong to this ceremony. The ceremony belongs to you. It's for all of us. And just those words, you know, helped me to relax. And I remember I was sitting there stressed out, and it was pitch black in the lodge. We couldn't see each other. That's the way lodges are. And I was sitting there and I was worrying and stressing. And he was saying, relax, you guys, relax. I'm glad you're here. There could not be a ceremony, this ceremony, without you. So in a way, it was like giving us permission to be there. And that was so, I think, critical for me at that time of my life to feel that. And he says it's going to get hot, you know, and all of that, you know, and he's telling us. And Anyway, he started his ceremony, and there was medicine, putting them under what they call the grandparents, the red-hot rocks, and smelled that medicine, it smelled so good. Then there was music, singing, then the language, you add those things, add those together, and it was like magical. It was, it was so beautiful to me that I could feel it inside of myself. And I remember he was praying. And an interpreter was interpreting, and this man started weeping. 
the ceremonial man. And he was praying for his grandchildren that they have clean water and that they be safe. And I, I said, I want what that man has, that sincerity, that what he has. So I left that um, ceremony inspired and motivated. It's like I was given permission to be indigenous. So after that, I started to do individual ceremony for myself as a way of healing. I built my own little sweat lodge. I started running, and I, my cousin and I started bathing early in the morning because that's how, how we're told what people used to do. They didn't say it was a ceremony, but now that I'm talking about ceremony, it was a ceremony for me to greet the day, to start my day. Because when you go to the water, you're asking for help and that negativity will be washed away from you, you know, and you want to be strong and those kinds of thoughts are happening. That's a ceremony. The ceremony are meant to help people. So I started doing that. And then they tell you, you know, you scrub your body with a fir bough branches or cedar or hemlock, you know, and you're in the water. Help to cleanse you. Help your muscles. And I would do that. And I started to run. and uh, You know, different things. I started to think of ceremony. And eventually I got to participate in public indigenous ceremony too. So it was uh, just that one sweat lodge changed my life. And it was uh, beautiful. It was, you know, the music especially, you know, was a... Uh, was so special for me. So I now had a hunger for more of this beautiful way of healing and being comfortable in my own skin. I was now guided by the feelings of gratitude and hope, not guilt, shame, and fear. So I, I started, you know, out with this greeting of the day ceremony of bathing. I'd get up early in the morning and go to the water. And it was a daily ritual, rain or snow or, you know, it didn't matter. I went to the water. As I matured in this ceremony, I started to understand that it's actually... Part of it is an inside-out cleansing. And I thought of that when my friend, my friend and I would go bathe and wherever we were in the country, we'd go. I'd, sometimes I'd chop a hole in the ice to get into the water. 
He was watching me once, and it was cold, and there's ice by the river. And there's a huge boulder there, and the water was a little fast, like, you know, it was a, it was a current. So I grabbed onto that boulder, and I got in the water, and I was hanging onto it. And I submerged myself, and I was hanging on. Because my uncle said, uh, you, you just train yourself and stay under longer, as long as you can. And you'll get stronger. So I used to do that. So I was hanging on, and he said, you could see my body from head to foot get red from the cold. Then I thought of it, my body was exploding inside. There was fires going on inside my body to, to protect my body. But that was cleansing. It was cleansing inside of me. You know, at first, uh, I'll be honest, I, I didn't enjoy this. Didn't enjoy cold fingers and cold hands. You know, and, but I carried on. And I came to appreciate this ceremony. I would leave this ceremony when I leave the water, energized, have calm feelings. It was it was good. Feel clean and awake. And uh, you know, so thank goodness to that sweat lodge. I now started to see the different ceremonies for individuals. And I started to participate in that. Picking medicine was a ceremony. You know, and I'd learned from my relatives over the mountains and the prairies, you know, that they were offering tobacco and they pick medicine. And we started to do that, and then I... Then I, I was helping one of the elders in B.C., and we went out to pick medicine. And he didn't have tobacco, and I was wondering what he's going to do. And when we are picking medicine, he was singing. He says, yeah, I sing to the plants and thank them because I come to, to, you know, to take some of the, take, take the medicine. So I'm thanking them through music. And that's what he done. He was honoring them with song. So I do both ways now. Sometimes I take tobacco and I'm going to go pick sage or cedar or whatever I'm going for. It's a ceremony. And I'm thanking the medicine and asking it for help for myself and the people that are going to use it. So this individual ceremony... You know, as a, I guess you could say, was a lifesaver for Jerry. Changed me how I was and the way I thought. Remember, attitude is we're acting and talking the way we think. I became less negative about myself or about others. Can't say I was perfect, but it was less. It was it was changing with each ceremony, I guess I can say. So I'd like to talk about the ceremonies now that 
I I do today for myself. And when I'm blessed, when there's a public ceremony, somebody's doing a naming ceremony, or I'm, I go and I participate and I respect what's going on, and it helps me. So the first, as I've talked about it already, it was about using medicines. My first medicines were sage, juniper, sweet grass, cedar. That I was, um, I wasn't actually taught. I would learn by watching. People would burn it and bring it to their eyes and to their mouth, to their ears, to their heart. You know, and would take this medicine in the smoke coming from these plants. And I realized then that it was literally medicine that I'm taking it in, that it absorbs through my skin. I breathe it in. It comes into me. And that it's all about goodness, about helping me to be strong, to change an attitude, you know, and also, you know, to to heal, to help get rid of virus in my system, like the flu. You know, I started to use sage for that, sage tea. One of my elders taught me that I was, um, we were going to do a workshop and we're traveling and I got sick, got a fever, got the chills. He says, oh, we really need you tomorrow, Jerry. He says, you go to bed right now and um, I'm going to bring you medicine. So I go to, we're in a hotel and I go to my room and I cover up in blankets and he comes in and he's got a quart jar of sage tea, really hot. He says, okay, now I want you to sip this. It's wrapped in a towel, this jar. Drink it hot. I want you to drink it all, then we're going to get more blankets. So he, I done that, and he done, he got more blankets. He said, okay, now you go to sleep. You're going to sweat, but don't take off the blankets. It's going to be good for you. So I used that sage tea, that hot sage tea, and I drank it. And sure enough, the next day, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to get better because there's a workshop and it was exciting. We're talking about addictions and healing addicts and all of that stuff and using culture. So, you know, the, the medicine did help me with that, whatever it was I had at that time. So the elders that were using the medicine, you know, were doing it by living it. I watched them. And they were so sincere when they were burning the medicine or drinking the medicine. I could see it and I could feel it, that sincerity. I had these role models that were sincere about what they were doing and had this belief that this was good for us. I watched elders pick medicine 
make medicine, use medicine. And I could see it in their eyes, in their body language, the respect they had for this ceremony around the medicine. I was told by a, a healer that there was a medicine for every organ of our body, skin, heart, liver, you know, all our organs. In his words, we only have so many organs. And he said, there's medicine under earth for every organ in our body. We just happen to find the right combination and how to use it. There's medicine there for us as human beings because we come from the earth. That was a good teaching for me. And I watched him with his medicines and the respect that he had, that he wasn't playing with this. And I knew that it probably saved him on different occasions or relatives and friends. Because he traveled all over teaching about medicine, about healing, about ceremony. The other ceremony that I see now today is the ceremonies or the importance of you doing ceremony is the music. The music that I had been listening to before I come to, you know, before I started to recognize ceremony, indigenous ceremony, wasn't really helping me. It wasn't healing me. I'm listening to the blues and rock and roll and things like that because I'm a 60s guy, you know. But it wasn't, um, had nothing to do with healing. It was about partying and also feeling sorry for myself. But when I heard the drum, I first heard hand drums and singing. I remember the first time I heard it, it was like, whoa. You know, when people say that your hair literally stands up, I had a similar experience. It wasn't my hair, but it was my heart and my, you know, I could feel it. There were these men and women standing around a fire, and the men had hand drums, and they were chanting. And I went over, and I was listening, and I was wishing that I could do that, wondering how can I do that. And one of the men that was in the circle seen me, and he nods, he said, telling me to come on over. So I went over. And there's a little break, and I says, I've never sang before. He says, oh, it doesn't matter. He says, stand with us, and you'll learn. I eventually learned that phrase, you know, fake it till you make it. <laughs> so I stood there with him, and I listened, and eventually I would do what I part that I can. But I was hooked. I was hooked on indigenous music. I was inspired and motivated by these young men and women that were singing around that fire. 
And they were part of a movement. There was a movement happening in the 60s called the American Indian Movement. And these people were into ceremony, into music, you know, and uh, using medicines. So I learned that all nations have their own music, that we all have songs. And when I hear it and see it now, it fills me with joy. Sometimes that music brings tears to my eyes of gratitude and thankfulness and just good feelings. I was in this community doing a suicide prevention workshop. And I, of course, like I told you, I carry my hand drum when I go do workshops or my rattle. And I was in this community and we're doing sessions and then we have supper and then this auntie comes over and all the elder ladies in the communities, I call them auntie. <laughs> in a way, this auntie comes over and she says, yeah, my little girls here want to sing a song for you. Thank you for you sharing your songs. I said, oh, okay. So these, I don't know, six, seven, eight-year-old girls stood in front of me and they started singing in their language. And it was so beautiful, I had tears were coming down my eyes. I was in a healing movement moment and the music they were doing was a ceremony. And it was so it was so beautiful. So this pride and joy that I feel when I see people singing and dancing our way contributes to my healing wherever I see it. And I started to see that there are songs for thanksgiving. There are songs for healing. There are songs for celebration. There are socialization songs where we just be social and sing, like going to a hip-hop or, you know, a rock and roll dance or a square dance or something. And we had that, too, where we just gather, get together and enjoy each other's company and socialize and sing and dance, which is medicine, too. And, I, you know, on this journey of my life, I now started to, you know, look at other societies, I guess you can say, and ways and I seen this. Um, uh, I I googled um, music and healing. And, I said, and I, what come up, of course, were uh, an article about how now they're starting to see that there's a healing note for every organ of our body. And I was thinking, hey, my people knew that they used healing music as healing. So music has been part of my healing for my mind, my body, and my spirit. It stimulates my mind, you know, relaxes my mind, gets my body moving, and my spirit feels strong.
Oh, there's so much beautiful indigenous music in the world. It's just so beautiful. It's just, I can't say enough about it. It's a wonderful ceremony, music. The other one I got into after that first sweat lodge, I started to, you know, my experience with that Cree elder, when he shared his beautiful ceremony with us, opened the door for my healing of the post-colonial stress disorder. It became like my treatment center. I built my own small lodge and I'd go there. Every time I had a craving for drugs or booze, I'd go to my sweat lodge. Then after a while, while I was doing that, my uncle also built a lodge. And it was a, I thought my lodges were hot. His were <laughs> very hot. The heat in there. You know, he had arthritis happening in his elbow, so he's using that to help his arthritis. So I'd go with him in the wintertime, you know, and <laughs> I remember it got so hot that we go into the lake and there'd be ice along the edge of the lake and we'd go, he'd tell us, you guys go dip four times now then come back in. And I remember that, that one night that we were doing this, it is a beautiful, clear, dark winter night. Snow in the trees, ice by the lake. And uh, I remember coming out of the lodge, walking into the lake, being careful because of the ice and when to slip and fall down. But once I got into the water, I submerged and I didn't feel the cold. And I went under four times and I came up. And I looked directly above me was the Milky Way. And a multitude of stars around the Milky Way. And it felt like the Milky Way became a river and it was moving from east to west. I started laughing. My uncle says, hey, Jerry, what's the matter? And I said, uncle, I'm just feeling so good. And I looked at him and I said, do you mean that I've been doing this drugs and drinking all these years to feel good and that this was here? <laughs> and it was like an awakening for me. I said, oh, my gosh. So I started, and until this day, I still do sweat lodge. You know, every Sunday, I got a lodge. I go there and meditate, burn medicine, and sing songs, and send energy to my friends and family. It's 
so comforting for me, and I think it's helping me stay mobile as an elder. It helps my muscles. It's um, it's a real like you know how people have comfort food. This is a comfort ceremony for me. I get up. I live in Brandon, Manitoba. I get up at four thirty, five o'clock, start my fire. Because I'm right in town, you know, and I got a nice backyard and front yard, so I got it in the backyard by the spruce tree. And that's where I do that ceremony. I'm so lucky to have that. The other um, ceremony I started to do as individual was meditation. You know, um, I had, I'm just so lucky that I had elders, and they didn't use the word meditation. You know, they helped me get into a state of relaxed concentration by telling me, by laying teachings at my feet. When you're troubled, go sit by the water, the running water, and ask it to take your troubles away. Go sit and lean against a big rock or a big tree up in the mountains and let your worries go. And I started to do that. I went up once I was, you know, what they call angst or wondering what life was about once. and So I went up the mountain that was a, Nice summer day. I went up, went up these trails, and I went up halfway up the mountain. Here we have large mountains where I'm from, and there's this huge tree, pine tree, the kind that looks like the bark or puzzles. So I sat and leaned against that tree and and the sunlight was coming down on me. Closed my eyes and was doing deep breathing. Doing that now, all of a sudden I'm aware of the scent of the pine tree and the flowers that were around me. And I started to be there now. And I opened my eyes and I could see the lake and the mountains, and I looked at the tree, and I could see the sun reflecting off the pine needles. And I was meditating, and I didn't know it then, but that's what it was. I remember I was sitting there, and this bee, bumblebee, buzz, big old bumblebee landed on my right foot and started crawling up my boot into my my hiking boot into my pants. So I just, I said, I'm not going to hurt that bumblebee. And I just sort of put my hands around my calf so it can't crawl any higher. (laughs) But it crawled and took off. and I could hear bzzz. And I wasn't thinking about residential school or anything else. I was just Jerry, 
sitting in the world. So that was my meditation by going by myself, going to the tree. I've since gone to the water and sat on a big rock by, uh, to meditate. And the elder told us to do this. We were in, he was teaching us. And he didn't use the word meditate again. I remember we were there, and he said, okay, you guys go find a place to sit by yourself. And you hear the drum coming, that's the time you guys come back. There were three of us, so we all went out in different directions. And I crawled up on this big rock and was sitting in the sun again. And he had told us to think about good relationships. <laughs> and my thinking at that time was, he's supposed to teach us. Why are we doing this? But I went, and I sat up in that rock. I don't know how long, half a day, we're there three or four hours, and I hear the drum. So I go back, and he says, okay, Jerry, what makes a good relationship? And it, the, the answer did, my answer did come to me, and I said, uh, fairness. We all have to work together. And he says, good, and he asked others, and they had different answers, and, um, but that is my answer, and it still works for me today. And that come from meditation. I also now do that with my when I when I was running and I do exercise. I include deep breathing with it and counting. And it becomes like a moving meditation. I also do um what they call San Chin in the karate style I was learning. San Chin is the first kata. And I do that and it's like a moving meditation. I also got into fasting ceremony, you know, it's another good individual ceremony where you have a chance to look at yourself and also purify. Because fasting, you know, and, um, the fasting that I was thinking of was, when I first thought of fasting, was no food and water for four days. And I've done that. And, it, and it, you know, I, I got benefits from that. I got answers. I've since learned that I can do juice fasting. So I do the master cleanse when you use real lemons and cut them in half and make a 10-ounce glass of juice with pure maple syrup in there and some cayenne, and I, that's all I would drink. After I had prepared myself by eating raw veggies and fruit for two days, then start uh, the juice fast. So I was wanting to purify myself with this ceremony, get rid of the drugs I put into my body over the years and the booze, and that's one of the motivators for me for that juice fast, was to cleanse myself. And, uh, you know, so I'd done that. The longest I'd done was 10 days. After the fourth day, it was like, it was like I didn't want to eat anymore. You know, didn't want to go through the process of digestion and elimination and stuff. But the fasting, 
you know, is a, is a good ceremony. You know, and I, and I suggest that you, you do that. You start off maybe one day fast. But I feel it's a wonderful purification because I'd learned that when our body, when we don't put food in our body, our body starts to eat itself. And the first thing it eats is the negativity. So I started doing that. Then uh, another ceremony I started getting involved in as an individual going for help was uh, healing circles. And you'd go to these circles, you know, and they'd start off a lot of times with music and smudge or burning medicine or using cedar branches, you know. And uh, we'd go through this sharing. And only one person speaks at a time. You learn patience. You learn how to listen to everybody. And you get answers from people, too, because some people, will, it's like they're talking about your life and they talk about how they fixed what is going on. I've learned from these healing circles. You know, and it's a wonderful, um, wonderful ceremony. I've since learned, you know, that um, when I do them, that everyone's intentional. We're only going to deal with one thing at a time. And we'll be here for an hour and we're going to talk this circle, healing circle is about anger. Then everyone has a chance, they wait for the talking stick and they talk about, usually about what makes them angry and how they how they fixed it. You know, so, and, uh, I've gotten many solutions from healing circles. So when we do that with intention, we can change our lives. And my life has changed with these ceremonies. And then I, um, after that, I'll talk about the public ceremonies now that I've had the honor of going to, been invited to, the potlatch or the puslatch, the way my mother would say it. And, um, it means to give without charge. And those were the naming I got a name, so we had a potlatch for me, and my grand auntie came and told everybody his name's going to be Patsy. And um, there was a little ceremony, then a giveaway and a feast, and it was legalizing that name that belonged to my great-grandfather and that now come to me. I have since shared that name with my brother, and um, two of us now are Patsy. And there were, of course, um, funerals. Now people are doing ceremony, using medicines and indigenous medicines and music to help the people. You know, so at the funeral, you know, and um, when I lose someone close to me, I cut my hair. Because the whole meaning of long hair is to grow your hair for a long life for your loved ones. So that's what I do. Last time I cut my hair, I cut it all off really short as my mother passed. Now I'm growing my hair again. And that's a ceremony for relatives that are close to me that have a long life. So the potlatch or the puslatch 
is a public ceremony where we invite people and the families work together and they have a giveaway and thank the people for coming to witness the work and being part of the work, that it could not happen without them in a good way. Oh, I've had really wonderful feelings witnessing. And I could see that they were a powerful education tool for young people that would come and they could see how we dealt with things, how we done things as indigenous people. They were educational and healing, not only for the hosts, the ones that invited us, but for me and the ones that went there too. It helped the hosts be complete in their lives. You know, so I've gone there and it seems like every public ceremony there's joy eventually and laughter and good feelings and sharing, you know, <laughs> it's it's just so it's just so wonderful, the public ceremony. So the benefits of um, attending ceremony, like the individual ceremony of having daily rituals, helps with maintaining a strong mind, body, and spirit. When you do these individual ceremonies, you get a sense of well-being. You feel invigorated, you feel cleansed. It can be soothing. You can solve problems by doing individual ceremony. You know, because um, you go to do individual ceremony, you're literally looking at yourself and looking for answers and looking for things to change about yourself and how you behave, how you talk, how you do, how you live. I have achieved um, having understanding and patience and compassion, and most of all, hope by doing my individual ceremonies that I do till this day. And attending public ceremony, I always have that feeling of pride and appreciation for the ways of the indigenous people. I have felt gratitude for the ones that kept the ceremonies alive. I call them national treasures. You know, the, they kept it alive even though they were oppressed by Canadian laws and policies. It was at the ceremony where I saw my people, indigenous people, immersed in their identity. They'd walk different. They'd have a different look in their eyes. They'd talk different when they're in public ceremony. That sense of pride... It was their space. It was, they were indigenous, pure indigenous. They'd speak the language, do our music. The healing and feeling of being totally comfortable in my own skin was uh, was uh, most powerful at public ceremony, indigenous ceremony. I know today that without ceremony and ritual that I would not feel the sense of purpose and well-being that I feel today. 
The ceremony and ritual is the glue that holds my body, my mind, and spirit together in a good way. When I allowed myself to feel in ceremony, it's when I started to heal, when I could weep publicly or individually, I started to heal. I started to experience my emotions with the attitude of gratitude. I became comfortable in my own skin as indigenous, as family, as a co-worker, as a citizen of the world. So ceremony is a necessity. And I encourage you, those that are listening that aren't too involved in this, that you start to do this. Know that it's your right. It's your right to use medicines to help yourself that come from the earth. Like the sage, the cedar, the juniper, the fungus, the roots that our people used for thousands of years. You have a right to that. You have a right to compose music, to develop ceremony, to help yourself and to help your family. So I'd encourage you to start to have individual ceremony and ritual to help to help you to maintain yourself, to develop yourself, to do personal development and growth doing indigenous ceremony. Embrace it. So that's my message today to you on ceremony. We were, a, I believe, a spiritually governed people through ceremony. So I'm going to say, with that I'll say all my relations and I could hear people saying, we're all one, we're all one big family, and that's what they mean by all my relations. We're all interconnected by the air and the water and the food and medicine we use. We're all one. So I'd just like to thank you for listening to this and share it with the youngsters that don't understand ceremony. Maybe they'll hear something here that will inspire them and motivate them to help themselves. Then I say all my relations. Hey, hey, hey.